You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Snowpiercer. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine. And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. This is disorder. We're going to the front. Open the gate. We know you well, Mr. Curtis. We've been watching you. Precisely 74% of you shall die. Everybody back! I'm not a leader. You're ready, our leader. This is your destiny. All right, everybody, you're just listening to the trailer for Snowpiercer, and the story is as follows. Survivors of Earth's Second Ice Age live out their days on a luxury train that plows through snow and ice. The train's poorest residents who live in the squalid caboose plan to improve their lot by taking over the engine room. The film is starring Chris Evans, Song Kang-ho, Tilda Swinton, Jamie Bell, Octavia Spencer, Ewan Bremner, Ko Asung, John Hurt and Ed Harris. It is written and directed by Bong Joon-ho, co-written by Kelly Masterson. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hello, everybody. Dan Baer. Know your place. Be a shoe. So it is. Amanda Spears. Hello. Tom O'Brien. Hi, everyone. And if it's not a packed house enough, we have as a guest joining us, welcome back to the show, Daniel Brilliant. How's it going, guys? Yay. It's going Yay. well. It's going well. Um, and we're in quarantine. So in a way, we do feel like the characters in Snowpiercer, <laughs> whether by design or not. Uh, speaking of which, in terms of just coincidence here. So we're doing a 2014 retrospective. This movie was not originally on the list of um, movies that we were supposed to be reviewing for our 2014 retrospective. Uh, however... Uh, there is a t- TV adaptation on TNT uh, debuting actually uh, tomorrow as of this recording for Snowpiercer. And in light of Bong Joon-ho's recent historic Oscar wins for Parasite, uh, we felt that this was actually an appropriate thing to do than reviewing uh, Scoob uh, this weekend. So here we are talking about Snowpiercer here on the podcast. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that really appreciate that because this is a beloved film. Part of that is because it was a discovery film for most people. I don't really know many people that saw this in the theaters when it originally came out. They saw it later based on word of mouth. So there's a real, real tie and connection to this movie. On top of that, uh, a very human universal story 
uh, some really astounding technicals and some really, really good performances as well. Um, it's a Bong Joon-ho film. So you know what you're going to get and what you're going to get is definitely some cinematic brilliance. Uh, let's kick it over first in terms of their thoughts on the movie. I know this was a first time viewing for Nicole. So, Nicole, I'm curious to hear your thoughts first. What did you think of Snowpiercer? Yeah, this is one that I've been meaning to catch up with for a while. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will know I'm a big Chris Evans fan, and it was really exciting to get to see him in this kind of role. I was really wowed by the film. I think that the world building in it is really strong. I think that the production design in it is really strong. I don't think it's a perfect film. I, I do have a handful of small issues with it, but Overall, I, I really enjoyed it, and I think it's a really interesting watch right now, like you were saying, because of the themes kind of of isolation. Uh, and and also, you know, it's an interesting thing to think, because often with these post-apocalyptic films, they're set really far in the future, and this one's set not that long from now. So I think that also just kind of makes it makes it more interesting. So I was definitely a fan. I've actually managed to get two different friends to watch it since I did uh, the other day. So Wow. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Now let's hear actually from our guest, uh, Daniel. Uh, what do you think of Snowpiercer? So I actually saw Snowpiercer about a year ago when I was doing my own 2014 podcast for my show, The Gavrits. And I felt it was necessary because I knew Bong Joon-ho had this new movie that premiered at Cannes, and I knew that everyone was praising it. So I knew I had to see at least one film of his before I saw Parasite. So I turned on Snowpiercer on Netflix, and wow, this is quite a movie. I mean, like, if you, it was my first Bong Joon-ho film, so of course I did not know what to expect, and what I got was really, really interesting on so many levels. <laughs> The cast is incredible. The production design is out of this world. The score is memorable. It's just unlike anything I had seen before it. So I was really, really taken by this. And I rewatched this very recently, not even anticipating coming on here. So that was just a coincidence. Yeah, this was Bong Joon-ho's uh, first English language uh, feature film. Uh, I think 75, 85% or so of the movie is in English uh, with some uh, Korean subtitles uh, sprinkled throughout there as well with uh, his collaborator Song Kang-ho getting most of that dialogue. Um and yeah, this was a lot of people's uh, first introduction to Bong Joon-ho. I know there were some niche circles who saw his movie The Host uh, because Quentin Tarantino uh, really went to bat for that movie uh, when it originally came out. And so those and uh, people who typically follow international cinema definitely knew who Bong Joon-ho was. But I think for most people, Snowpiercer was their first experience. Uh, let's hear from Amanda. Amanda, what do you think of Snowpiercer? I think this is a brilliant film. And let me just say, before we get too far into this, if you have not seen this movie, stop now. Stop listening to us now because yeah. you do not want us to spoil the last 20 minutes of this for you. You really yeah. want to go into there and go, what the hell? Or, oh my God. You you really, really want that moment for yourself. This movie's got a really good twist at the end. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, that being said, this is... This was, I found it on Netflix like a lot of people. And I was like, oh, Chris Evans. Okay, yeah, I'll watch that. And it was early 2015. I don't understand why it did not receive the attention it deserved. It's brilliant. I love how international and diverse this cast is. And I, I just, I was a big fan of it. Not just Tilda Swinton. I think everyone's at like one of their best in this film. 
Yeah, no, the well-rounded cast definitely helps. And uh, to your point, too, so diverse, um, not just, as I mentioned before, with like Song Kang Ho, but also, too, with um, uh, Octavia Spencer also in the mix. And uh, who who is that guy that plays the henchman? Uh, my God, is he amazing. I think he's like Romanian or yeah. something. Vlad uh, Ivanov. Yeah, he was in um, The Whistlers, I think, that came out like oh. last year. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot going on in this movie to the point where you can definitely pinpoint and say, yep, that's pretty much all of humanity represented on that train. <laughs> um, let's hear now from Dan. Um, so I did see this movie in theaters in 2014. Holy shit, you're the first one I've ever interacted <laughs> with. <laughs> I remember all the drama surrounding the fucking Weinsteins um. and this movie. Um, I remember it so clearly. And I, when, <laughs> when they announced that this actually was going to open in some theaters as well as on VOD, I was like, I don't care how long I have to drive. I am going to watch this movie. I'm going to watch it in theaters and support this Bong Joon-ho because I had seen uh, Mother, which I think is one of the best films of the first decade of the aughts and loved it. And this, the cast in this movie was just like spectacular and it was a fantastic premise. And I was like, I don't understand why they're letting this movie just die. You know, we had to support cinema and uh, thankfully my local art house movie was playing it. So I did not have to drive very far. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And, and my response to it now is pretty much the same as it was then, which was like, everyone should see this fucking movie because it's so well done. And so it brings a unique voice to what is essentially a pretty straightforward action thriller movie. And it's fun and it's smart and it has great performances and great production design. That said, <laughs> I think there are a lot of problems with it that are essentially baked into the plot and the type of story that um, this story ultimately is. And I don't think that at this point, um, Bong was a good enough filmmaker to overcome those problems. I think he's dealing with a lot of the same issues that he would return to in Parasite, where he was able to deal with them much better, partly because he was working from his own original screenplay. Yeah, a lot of people uh, fail to remember that Snowpiercer uh, is not an original screenplay. It was an adaptation. Graphic novel. So they were working off of a framework, which obviously the television series is going to have a lot more time uh, to work with, whereas Bong had the task of trying to condense it all into 134 minutes here. So, Tom, what do you think of Snowpiercer? Uh, well, Matt, you and I have talked, and you know that I'm a, I've am been a longtime member of the Bong Hive. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've seen the host about six times over the course, but I did see it about three times in theaters. And that so knocked me out that I just became uh, entranced with this guy. You know, and when I would talk about his movies to my friends, you know, oh, he's talking about the Korean guy again. Oh, mm -hmm. but uh, 
I was determined to see this too, like Dan. And I went first show, first day, because I was afraid Weinstein mm-hmm. would take it away. Yep. Uh, yeah. And uh, oh my God, I, w- I was just knocked out silly. Uh, for people who might not see the connection because they are such different, <sighs> Snowpiercer is very much deals with the same themes as Parasite. Yeah. But in an action, mm-hmm. action sense, it's very much about class distinction. Perhaps a little more overtly said here, um, but uh, the struggle to raise up in class uh, equals the struggle to get to the front of the train here. And it's I, I, I don't have some of the same problems that a few people have in the storytelling. Um, I, I think that uh, he, he, his directorial style is very different because he has to deal largely in close-ups because the uh, space is so confined. Um, but uh, what close-ups and what uh, emotion on the, on the faces of this amazing cast. So uh, I would it's on Netflix. You can see it at any time. But uh, prep up to, to experience something that you may not expect to uh, experience enjoy it yeah so i saw this movie Ooh, i saw this movie i think in 2015 uh it's kind of a similar situation i i don't remember if i saw it on netflix or if i actually just bought the blu-ray as a blind buy i don't remember exactly but i didn't see this in theaters when it came out and i fell in love with it immediately i was entranced by the world building in this movie i was deeply fascinated uh by the story and also captivated by uh, the action and the plight. And a lot of that had to do with um, something that's a reoccurring theme in Bong Joon-ho's work, which is that all of his movies are multifaceted. They reveal uh, different layers every single time that you watch it because you can't just pin them down into one genre. And Snowpiercer, you can call it an action film. You can call it a science fiction film, a post-apocalyptic film. You can call it all of those things. That's too simple. But but that, that's the but that's the point. The point is that it's not just one of those things. It's also a story about global warming. It's a story about class structure. It's a story about human survival. It's a story about a reluctant leader uh, that's suffering from survivor's guilt. There there is a lot going on in this movie, and while I do agree that maybe not all of it is as deeply explored. The thing that I think Bong Joon-ho taps into um, the most with this movie is he gives us all just enough to pique our interest, but he lets our imagination fill the gaps. And as a result, we feel like we're active participants in filling in the history, the brief history, mind you, it's only been 17 years that the history of this train actually exists within, and it's been documented by sketch artists and things of that nature, but there's so much exposition that is conveyed through this movie and the dialogue that we ourselves have to kind of like fill in the blanks a little bit in some cases. And I think that makes for a very engaging experience and one which properly um, gives us those moments of exposition that don't feel like wasted moments because we don't properly see them on screen or anything like that. He wisely chooses what pieces to tell us through dialogue and let us and let us leave that up to the imagination. And what he actually focuses on is all from the perspective of Curtis. And it never deviates from Curtis's perspective, despite the fact that this is an ensemble uh, cast. 
So I really, really love that. I responded to that tremendously. Um, I do want to talk about the production issues that this movie did face um, and the release uh, issues as well, because like I said, a lot of people struggle to see this movie in theaters and those of us that didn't get to see it in theaters. There is a reason behind that. And that reason is that piece of shit in prison, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so, this isn't the worst thing he's done, but it's yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those of you that don't know, uh, like I said before, this was Bong Joon-ho's first English language uh, film and Harvey Weinstein, uh, producer on the movie, was involved and they clashed. On set and also during post-production as well. I think this movie was done around, what was it, 2012, 2013? Yeah, I think. Yeah. It got its South Korea release in August of 2013, actually. Wow. Yeah, so this was sitting on the shelf for a little while then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a a shame because this is one of these films where you're like, where were its Oscar nominations? And you're like, "Mm, I I got a good reason why. This is a movie that... I think even if it doesn't get stuff like a Best Picture nomination or an Adapted Screenplay nomination, how in God's name can you look at this production design in this movie oh. and <laughs> not list that as one of the best achievements of the year? How? I It's it's mind-boggling, honestly. And they, there is a, a scene uh, just after the midpoint of the movie when they're in the finally start going through the train, which getting back to my thing about structural problems with this movie, it's about half the movie before they even make it out of the caboose of the train and start journeying to the front, which I did not realize until watching it this time. And I happened to pause it at a specific point, (laughs) but um, they start walking through and they walk through this, a, they walk through a, uh, a greenhouse. Yeah. And then a, uh, an aquarium. Yep. Oh, and, aquarium. and then there's this in the aquarium, like after the aquarium, there's this little sushi stand. So, and there's this one shot where you can see the sushi stand, the aquarium and the outside world. Oh, yeah. And it's like all the production design. And honestly, were it not for Grand Budapest Hotel, this would be the finest production design of 2014. I My issue with it is, again, like partly structural and that where things are on the train, I don't think necessarily makes sense. Uh, you mean in terms of this, um, the succession of cars? Yeah. Okay. Huh. I never thought of that. I, I always thought it made sense to me. See, like, I'm not going to get into the, the what, where things go on the set of the trains. But, you know, I think the Grand Budapest Hotel, like Paris, like this film, was a very specific design. Because they, mm-hmm. I mean, they took a ho- you know, they took a mall, basically, and made the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, the- but the Into the Woods getting a production design nomination over this is uh, like, really uh, come on, come on, guys. Imitation got production design over this. Uh, but yeah. if you shut, but if you yeah. shut off the dialogue, the the art direction in the, those sequences yeah, tell the story. It tells you all you need to know. Yeah, her the name was the the name of the production designer was Andre Nekvasil. That sounds right. Yep. Uh, she did not work. With Bong Joon Ho on on Parasite, so I just to give a little. Well, didn't she just get an Oscar? Not no. 
no, this was not the same person. So she really got robbed of her Oscar nomination. For this I feel like there was someone, though, uh, maybe not uh, the production well, designer, also but the art there... collection designer. Oh, okay. Now, was that person on Parasite as well? Because I thought there was someone that was on both movies with Bong on this. No, that that person also, uh, Stefan Kovac, mm-hmm. was not on Parasite. Oh, interesting. Okay, because I, I thought uh, Parasite's production designer worked on this movie in some form or fashion, but either way, um, the design of this movie is pretty incredible. Uh, also down to the contrasted costumes uh, between the tail section and the front as well. <laughs> The, yeah. uh, the dirty browns and the dark colors of the tail section contrast with the bright, very vividly bright colors of the front. Mm. I, it does feel in some ways it reminded me almost of the production design in that way of the Hunger Games where you have that really sharp contrast mm-hmm. of these are the poor people, these are the like ridiculously wealthy people. And Dan, I was thinking about what you said, and it did kind of bother me. I was like, okay, can we get moving through this train at some point? Like, I've heard. (laughs) Um, And it does feel like you maybe spend too much time back there. But I will say, in terms of the production design, it's really impactful because you get so used to this very dark, very shadowy, um, dirty world. So then whenever you're going through the rest of the train and everything is bright and colorful and luxurious and you see outside yeah. for the first time, it is so impactful and it really hits you, I think, in the same way that it's hitting a lot of these characters. Yeah. And I think it's almost more awe-inspiring because you've just spent that amount of time in that other world. Like, I think if you just had that, yeah. it'd be like, well, that's great, but like, you know, whereas because you spend so much time in the beginning of the film and it's polar opposite, really, I think it seems even more impressive. Yeah, I agree. I also want to say, too, that, uh, man, I, I try to overcome this every single time. And I understand that this is not the highest budgeted film in the uh, universe, but those exterior shots never look good to me <laughs> and they still don't. And it really, really distracts me. I read that this is actually the most expensive Korean film ever made. Yes, yeah. it definitely which is. Interesting, but it still had a budget of what is it like forty million? So that's yep. not forty. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. nothing. I, the stars. scenes outside don't bother me. It, it, it's <laughs> not that it like bothers me. It's just I, I I can I can just tell that it's not great. <laughs> I think they made the never most. even crossed my mind. No, never. I did notice it, Matt. Mostly, I think because everything else production wise is so great. And I'm yes, like, I think that's oh, why. Yeah. All right. That's fine. I'll let it. Uh, I won't take an issue with it. <laughs> like, but in terms of uh, the structure of the movie, I want to just uh, speak to this really quick. Um, you know, we're talking about moving down the cars and everything. I mean, one of the things that I kind of liked about this movie's structure is that it is segmented. And it does feel almost platform video game like in a way, like we're leveling up and oh, each yeah. level, it's like a different um, environment and a different challenge. And oh, there's a boss fight or something like that along the way. You know what I mean? And I, I kind of dug that. I thought it gave the movie a good sense of um, of momentum. Uh, that builds and builds and builds because Wilford, Wilford's at the end of the train in the engine room and we don't see Wilford. We don't know who Wilford is. And there's this build up to when are they going to get to Wilford? And boom. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're like I said, we're going to talk about it. If you haven't watched the film, this is not one of those where you want to listen to this beforehand. 
Um, but I did find Matt, the person who worked on both Parasite and Snowpiercer. Oh, there was a person. Yes. Okay. He did not get an Oscar nomination. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. But it wasn't the one who got the Oscar nomination. But it was the cinematographer, Kyung Pyo Hong, who he, I mean, to shoot that fight scene in the dark. Oh, yes. So yeah. good. Oh, my God. Anyone here, raise a show of hands. Anyone here get uh, absolutely scared shitless Silence of the uh, Lambs vibes from that scene? Yeah. <laughs> I actually yeah. had to pause it for a minute. <laughs> It is so horrifying. I cannot imagine how scary that would be if if I was in that situation. Uh, I couldn't have watched that in the movie theater. I would have been overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) It scared the death out. It scared the shit out of me. And even just that scene where that one actor, the Asian actor who who was with Gilliam, is going to go help them. Oh yeah, this guy's neck. The way that he just drops his coat and the way it's shot and he's like following and running down that tunnel. It's like, oh, my God. One thing that I think Bong Joon-ho does really well with the action scenes in this movie is that, well, one, I I don't know about you guys, but when I saw all the hatchets and everything, I'm expecting this to be like gangs in New York, like gore everywhere. Yeah, it's not it's not gory. No, I mean, yeah, there's blood. But it's really not over-the-top violent as yeah. I really thought it was going to be as it played out in my mind beforehand. Because, they, you know, when they're, like, standing across from one another and they're, like, tensing up and they're getting ready, I'm just – I'm getting just as tense just thinking about what a bloodbath this is going to be. But the way Bong shoots it is he goes with the slow-mo and he highlights the sound mixing, the music by Marco Beltrami, mm-hmm. and there's a very poetic – sense of style uh to everything it is that he's doing in it and i i have to admit it caught me by surprise it's so yeah, it's, especially that first big fight is is really well done um i i the, i think that the movie overuses slow-mo a lot but at the same time there are um there are scenes in it where that slow-mo is just put to such incredible use that I can't get too upset about it. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, I just, uh, as far as like an international cast and an international crew and this, uh, God, it's just such a good uh, use of all of your senses. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up the sauna fight sequence, which... <gasps> Oh, that's so good. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we mentioned um, the henchman earlier. He just scares the living hell out of me. He's unstoppable. He's like the freaking Terminator. Literally unstoppable. (laughs) The lighting, the lighting design in that sequence and throughout the film, like the lighting in this movie is what is the star of the cinematography in my opinion. Well, it's so varied. It, It constantly changes and evolves as the movie goes on. And I think that's the thing about uh, the movie, at least for me, it doesn't have just one visual style. The visual style uh, changes as they progress further down the train. And as a result, certain sequences really, really stick out in your mind um, as a result of that. I think that's actually something that subconsciously makes the movie great because these sequences stick out in our minds from a visual standpoint. And we remember them. I mean, years from now, if you went years without watching Snowpiercer, you're not going to forget that yellow tint to that sauna scene in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, to, to say that it's the best sauna fight you've ever seen might be, you know, <laughs> a bit of a well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does Eastern <laughs> Promises count or? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> All of those rooms that jut out into the walkway. The walkway there is very narrow. So and the well confined done. spaces, there's a certain bit of claustrophobia you have in, the, in that uh, sauna fight. And uh, Bong emphasizes that that claustrophobia and you just want to get the hell out of there. But like, I bring up the sauna fight because like, you've got a nominee like unbroken at the Academy Awards that year, which I feel like is just giving Roger Deakins a bone when you could have given Hong Kyung Pyo a nomination here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I well, feel again, more Oscars sad were not again. touching this with a 10 foot pole. And, and we'll, and we'll get into that at the end of the uh, pod as well. When we talk about the Oscars. But when I think back to Parasite and the fact that it didn't get a cinematography nomination, I feel kind of bad for him. I think he's just so, uh, he just doesn't, you know, get the respect he deserves for what he's been able to do. Mm. But your time's coming. I agree. I think if he continues to collaborate with Bong Joon-ho, I do think that there will be, especially now that Bong Joon-ho is quote unquote in the club and on everybody's radar within the Academy. I do think that he uh, has a really good chance to get a cinematography nomination at some point. Um, Another thing too, I also wanted to talk about here was I wanted to talk about um, the human element of the story, the sacrifice that Curtis undertakes as a reluctant leader uh, to push his people to the front of the train and how as the movie progresses and we do go car by car by car, um, the heavy losses that he sustains and the cast members that we lose yeah. along the way as well and, the, and the, just the cost involved. They get to the end, and he's literally the only person from the rear of the train left. Yep. But, I mean, again, like, that's sort of, like, it's almost to be expected with this type of narrative, this type of movie. It has Like, I think too often this kind of tale doesn't, you know, kind of go for it enough. And it's like, all right, we made it through all that. We still got this many people alive. And this one definitely yeah. doesn't fall into that. Like it, it yeah. you really do feel how difficult this was and how much sacrifice had to go into it yeah. to be able to achieve like, this thing. And I think we really do feel the weight of that, especially uh, when we do get to Chris Evans's big monologue where he mm-hmm. tells uh, Song Kang Ho um, about his relationship with Gilliam and how that started. And it's all stems back from at the beginning of the train uh, the tail section weren't being given anything to eat by the front. And as a result, they had to resort to cannibalism and they were eating the limbs off of their own. Uh, oh, no, let me rephrase that. They were eating babies. The yeah, the weak and the old. Yeah. And he was going to eat uh, baby Edgar, which turns out to be Jamie Bell, his best friend. And Gil- and he tells the story about how Gilliam gave up his own arm so that this way they could eat. And Gilliam, uh, played by uh, the late John Hurt, has what? Only one or two limbs left, I think? I don't yeah, remember yeah. exactly. He's got like a yeah, leg and... It's one arm. And one arm, yeah. gotcha. But like the thing I find fascinating about that story is we do see a limb loss earlier in the movie uh, from uh, Ewan Bremner, uh, where they put his arm outside of the train and they smash it off after it's oh, frozen. Oh. So we naturally assume that that's happened to other members of the train. But then when they reveal the cannibalism, you you feel this tremendous amount of dramatic weight 
um, on the character of Curtis then and just what these him as a character and what the tale section have had to endure over the last 17 years. And, And it's a movie, like I said, that's evolving and it's changing our perception of what it is that we have seen before uh through this exposition i i I thought it was just masterful it's it's so it's so the the story itself is is so good but then okay so so so, so two things one is like one of the film's best uses of slow-mo i think is um jamie bell's death um oh chris evans's reaction his reaction to it yeah so good and it's so smart because like in normal speed you would not be able to see that all the all the thought processes that is are going through his mind at that moment and it's so smart and so well done and it's it's heart breaking at that point but (laughs) Uh oh! I don't. Well, I knew there was a butt coming. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't think the film does enough before that to really um, build up the relationship between Chris Evans and Jamie Bell. I could buy I that. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Like just barely enough so that that moment registers as important, but mostly it's bong cheating by using the power of his cinematic strength to say like see this this is important and i'm going to make you care even if i haven't given you reason before and we're going yes 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 oh god of cinema please show me more um and then my other problem is i i do love the way that the movie slowly doles out this information about chris evans's character and the history of the train. I think that's it's incredibly smart. And a lot of movies go about world building by just giving you everything up front. Yeah. <laughs> and this movie resolutely does not do that. And I love that and appreciate it. But and oh boy. This, and the structure <laughs> is the film it, it's a quest narrative, basically. You're going you have to get from the end of the train to the front of the train, which means that once you get to the front of the train, it's going to be the big reveal scene, right? Right. That reveal scene starts with Chris Evans's monologue outside the door of the engine. That is the entire last quarter of the movie. The last quarter of the movie is monologue, monologue, monologue. Oh, I love the last and half. Of and then a little bit of action at the end. I oh, Dan, I'm disagreeing with you on this one. I, oh, I know that you. there's a way to avoid that. And I think it's done about as well as it could be done. But it kills the momentum of the thing dead. Oh, no. And it has so much momentum. Like I said, like you don't even realize that half the movie has gone by before they really start this trek down the train. But then the trek down the train takes up less than half the movie itself. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't think that it it's not film killing. But for me, every time that I've watched this movie, I get to those monologues and they're well done and compelling. And Chris Evans and Song Kang-ho act the shit out of them. But also it's just monologue, 
and then another monologue and then another big monologue with Ed Harris. And you're just like, I, can we, can something, can, can I ask you a question, Dan? Things? Can I, can I ask you a question about the monologues? How do you feel about the performances by those delivering the monologues? I think two of them are great. And one of them is doing the best. He can. <laughs> Which one's doing the best that they can? Harris. Oh, okay. Okay. See, because I think that a lot of it, it, I think a lot of it hinges on if you're buying into the performance or not, because the performance is what makes the words compelling, right? And then as a result, the momentum wouldn't be killed if you were fully bought into the performance then. So that's, that's why I asked. Um, I get what you're saying. I get it. I, I find myself captivated every single time by the moral dilemma that Curtis undergoes when he does meet Wilford. Um, The big twist is revealed, which is that this uprising, spoiler alert, has been by design and pre-planned by Gilliam and Wilford from the very beginning to keep the population of the train under control and that these are all manufactured events to ensure that 74% of the train gets wiped out and humanity can keep on uh, going on. And he tells Curtis, I want you to lead the train. And it's interesting how everybody's been looking towards Curtis as this leader. And he's finally like embracing this role as a leader. But then this, real 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 deep knowledge gets dropped on him that this is essentially what it's a bomb yeah this is essentially that if you want to lead this is like the kind of knowledge and the kind of shit that a leader has to deal with and a leader has to do in order for the greater good you know i mean we hear this talk all the time in a lot of other stories so i think that is really 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 conflicting and extremely interesting for the character of curtis and that's what sells it for me every single time is chris evans's reactionary performance to it all again i think like it mostly works but the momentum is so strong up to that point and then it just like grinds to a halt and i i'm compelled by what's happening but i'm I'm also like itching, like, okay, essentially the scene with Ed Harris, that is the same scene as the architect scene in the matrix. (laughs) It is, but it's done better. (laughs) No, I I completely disagree. The scene in the matrix is completely ridiculous. And the dialogue is so ludicrously over the top, but it's the way that scene is filmed and edited is so interesting and this is this kind of shot reverse shot making stakes but you don't think the cross-cut editing with song king ho and his daughter outside the door helps it once it gets to that point yes but there's like 10 minutes before that happens. oh my gosh amanda i need to hear your retort okay so i like the piecemeal and i think that if you're paying attention to like jamie bell and chris evans jamie bell is always like two inches away from Chris Evans for the, most of this movie. So you get the point that they're close. There's, there's both a relationship. Both <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, and then I like the fact that we get this piecemeal through each of these trains. So by the time yeah. we just get oh, yeah. the information by Edgar, and I'm, I remember being sad that he died because, you know, he was a big part of the movie and the Chris Evans reaction. You're like, Oh my God, of course he spent, he's dedicated 17 years of his life to keeping this baby now a 17-year-old man alive. Yeah. And I love that scene with Chris Evans and Ed Harris 
where first of all, I did not know Ed Harris was in this movie. So I was like, Me neither. Is that, yeah, that was the, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought his, his just, as far as making an appearance, that was a great appearance to be made by him. But the way that when Chris Evans starts to act that t- those five seconds, like Ed Harris's character and he sticks his arm out and then that girl comes and like rips the floor open and he realizes the true weight of being the leader of this train. He knows that Song Kang Ho's character is right and he's got to blow it up. Does he know? Because I, wait, wait, does he know? Because I asked that question because uh, when uh, his daughter runs to Chris Evans to get the, what, the matches or something, right? Doesn't he push her off because he's still like, uh, he's still debating what to do? Yeah, in that yeah, moment, she turns with... up the floorboards and sees Tanya's son. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Gotcha, gotcha. Then, gotcha. Then he, he, That's the breaking moment. Yeah. Sacrifices yeah. Arm. That's great bit storytelling. That, is, that yeah, was excellent. That is, yeah. Yes, I think, and that's again like these callbacks. Like he he mentions earlier in the movie, like I can't lead when I have two good arms, and you're like, what? And you like kind of see a scar on it on his arm, and you're like, "What? What the fuck are they talking about? What's going on here?" And then it totally pays off at the end. That's I think it all pays off, and I I think that at that point I didn't need a lot more action. I had enough action. I love that we got to the storytelling of it, and uh, I I, it just makes me feel so bad. Song Kang Ho didn't get that Oscar nomination this year. I would agree with you, Dan, on your point about them not building Edgar and Curtis's relationship enough. And that actually is probably my biggest gripe with the film is that I don't feel like many of the characters are developed in a way that I care about them at all. Um, And I don't think the relationships between them are developed particularly well. Like, I honestly, up until that monologue, I was like, I don't know, what is Edgar to Curtis? Is that just his like second in command of this revolution or are they actually friends? I don't really have any idea. And I think then you get this idea that he means a lot more to him than just this guy that he's decided to, you know, to do this uprising with. But let me ask you a quick question in regards to that, Nicole, because uh, I don't know about you, but I felt this way. Um... I remember my first viewing of the movie, right? And as the movie reveals these little nuggets of information, right, that contextualizes stuff earlier on in the movie, I remember it made me actually want to go back and rewatch the movie then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious to know, since this was your first time viewing it, do you feel the same way in that regard? Uh, kind of. I I also feel like I have a different experience in that with the TV show about to come out. I'm going to be able to watch that with kind of That's true. more knowledge. So I think that... I'm I'm more inclined to watch that than rewatch this film right away. I I'm sure I would rewatch it at some point. Yeah, there have been like friends I've like shown it to like over the years. Um, th- th- that's been like my rewatches. I've showed it to like ex roommates, and I think I showed yeah. it to my sister at one point. But you know, this was spread out over the last six years. <laughs> yeah. So. I I just think it's one of those films that has such a large ensemble cast that it is hard to have enough time with any one person other than Chris Evans's character to really get a good feel for them for some of the things don't emotionally hit the way that I think they're meant to. I think that the one that kind of gets me the most here, and listen, I love Song Kang Ho, okay? Freaking, mm-hmm. freaking uh, uh, the host. He has uh, such a badass entrance into this movie. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and I didn't recognize him at all. Oh, uh, I didn't know when I saw Parasite that it was the same yeah, guy at first. I didn't know either. Me either. 
Yeah. I pulled out my phone to check. I was like, is this this man? <laughs> I told you it was before you watched it. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, wait, is this is this where he comes in? Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah. But what I'm getting at here with Song Kang Ho is I, I do admit that sometimes the one there's a lot of silly stuff in this movie, right? Because there's a lot of eccentric characters. Even Ed Harris is a little bit where he's like, oh, you're so tense. And he has like some line readings at the end. Yeah. I'm like, Ed, play it straight. Why are you acting like I don't understand, but Song Kang Ho's character in this movie is a drug addict, and he's constantly, we think, snipping this stuff. And <laughs> drug addict in quotes. We're yeah. Yeah. the drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I do, I do find it off-putting almost every single time I've watched the movie where they set up that he's addicted to this quote-unquote drug that's fictional, uh, but in this universe, it's a real thing. And yet he's able to do all these fight scenes and like do all this stuff. And I know it's the big reveal at the end. He hasn't been smoking it the whole time. He's making this bomb with it. Uh, But I do, I do genuinely wish out of all the supporting people in this movie outside of uh, Edgar because of that emotional weight that we talked about. I really, really wish Song Kang Ho had just a tad bit more because his character is so... Um, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for here? Predicated on that reveal at the end. Yeah, yeah, and and, I, and again, like like I said, like this, there's nothing you can do about that that structure. But I think there is like there's a way to make it play better. Well, the only way you can do it is if you add more runtime to the movie and you had more quote unquote conversations to break up the action scenes. But to Nicole's point, I think this is something that the TV show is going to be able to do that the movie yeah. can't. Yeah. I'm mean, gonna have to fill in the hole, fill in the blanks, and and that's what I talked about at the beginning, right, Amanda? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got and, enough that I and I mean we, I love this cast. I love, love, love this cast. Even Allison Pill and her small role. Oh, god. oh my god! I, that is my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> you know, she's that, so good, so that twisted. And Nazi esque. Yeah. Train teacher. Yeah. Also, how have we not brought up Tilda Swinton yet? <laughs> We're trying to talk about other things. Daniel, thank you. A lot of we could talk about Tilda Swinton for a whole other 45 minutes, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, read, I read actually um, somewhere that Tilda Swinton does every movie role, though, as if it is her last. And she only accepts parts if she can have, quote unquote, fun with them. And... I, I think that that shows in her work because nearly every single role I see her in, it doesn't matter if it's a dramatic role, if it's a comedic role, or it's a fully transformative role, or whatever it is, she just looks like she is having a blast yes. in everything it is that she does. That makes her appearance in Trainwreck make a lot more sense. But um, <laughs> this role was originally thought to be for like John C. Riley, and then she came in and Bong Joon-ho was going to change everything to be in the female tense. And he's like, no, it's more respectful if it's sir. Which is so fitting for this world that they're trying to build here. So good in this role. She is mm. the one that got a lot of the, oh, she should have been nominated. She should have been nominated. And she has my favorite line is, my friend, you suffer from the misplaced optimism of the doomed. 
<laughs> yes. I just want to bring a couple things up about her. So first of all, she said that the character is a mix of Margaret Thatcher, Colonel Gaddafi, Adolf Hitler, and Silvio Berlusconi. <laughs> I don't get Hitler from her, but okay. that's so extra. <laughs> and second of all, she said. She said, as we were playing, we had these ideas like fantastic pendulous breasts, and Jamie Bell loved wearing them, of course. We have a picture of him. Our crew our crew picture involves Bell wearing Mason's breasts. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, like, the fake teeth, the wig, the, the, the cadence God. in which she speaks and delivers her lines, that, that, that whole so-it-is uh, line, yeah. I just... It's such a unique character with very little to no actually pretty much non-existing character development but just as a character very unique and something that makes the movie exciting to watch every single choice she makes is bold yeah that's what i love love it even when she eats the shit bar yeah (laughs) (laughs) the protein block (laughs) oh my god that reveal, I remember when I watched this movie for the first time, I nearly threw up. I was sick. That made me sick to my Ooh. stomach. Yeah. That was definitely yeah. that was definitely a hard one to swallow. Oh, I loved I love Tilda Swinton in this, but every time people like to criticize Octavia Spencer, I say no. If you have not seen her in Snowpiercer, you do not understand, first of all, how good an actress she is, and two, how great she is at picking directors to work with. She has been in Fruitvale Station, The Shape of Water, this. I mean, she can sniff out a great director. Yeah, she she went from her Oscar-winning role in The Help, I believe, to this. Yeah, this, yeah, was, this was like first, the next big one. Her first yeah. choice, and it's like, okay, this woman knows how to pick them. I love it. And you know what? Yes. Not, you know, a big role necessarily, but in the moments that she gets... She makes the most of it, and especially in that tearful goodbye scene oh to Curtis. Yeah. Oh God. Looking at the picture of her son, and and yeah. oh, oh, I I cried when she died because I wanted her to make it. You you start rooting Same. for these people. Yeah. You want yeah. them to make it. She is someone who understands what her strengths, what what her persona is, and how best to use that. I mean, like, that character has no character development. Her sole character beat is, I love my son. And that is the one note that she has to play throughout the movie, but she finds so many different shades of it, mostly because that's just like she is Octavia Spencer and she has something about her that you you want to take care of her and give her big giant hugs and <laughs> and see her happy. Patricia Arquette should have thanked Tilda, Tilda Swinton and Octavia Spencer for not being nominated. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. But yeah, she should have thanked them for not being in, in the amongst the nominees because I would have. Yeah, I, I think they gave two of the most different, but brilliant performances in this this film. Uh, but my favorite uh, moment of the movie, uh, I don't know if I would call it a performance. I, I think it's just a directorial moment uh, from Bong. Is easily, easily, easily the slow motion uh, build up to uh, the old protecting the young. As Song Kang Ho and Chris Evans run in, 
and they uh, put their arms around uh, Song Kang Ho's daughter. And Ed Harris, it just goes, nice. And then then it blows up. (laughs) Nice. What a great editing moment. That was phenomenal. I I still love that. The most of his little screen time. Yeah. And he, he gets he gets to grandstand the way that the camera almost shoots him up to make him seem more important and taller. It's mm. so important. It's, it's mm-hmm. so this is a sad ensemble cast. Seriously, I mean the the girl who plays Song Kang Ho's daughter, um, Koa Song, Koa Song, yeah, yeah. Koa Song. Oh, she's so good, and she she is handed the ending of it like. The ending of this movie rests entirely on her shoulders, and she makes it work. And that little boy, yeah. that little boy yeah. who's, who's following her, yeah. you, you're rooting for them. But where is the best supporting polar bear Oscar for that polar bear? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, just get yeah. it to the golden compass. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the most evocative final shot he could have chosen oh yeah i love it so much could you guys can you just imagine if this movie became like blade runner where if harvey weinstein really did get his way and the ending to this movie was dramatically changed and they had added voiceover and stuff and then it became like another blade runner where we're working for years towards bong seeing bongs like director's cut and it's so, so great to know that that is the moment that this movie does end on. Because you're right, Tom. I don't think it's a conventional ending by any means. And you do have to do a little bit of uh, thinking for a brief moment there to realize what that ending symbolizes. But I think it's quite powerful, uh, for sure, knowing that there is life outside of the train and humanity can continue on despite the freezing conditions. And good for Bong Joon-ho for sticking his ground. Yeah. Standing yeah. his ground. Uh- he got the movie he wanted and you know what yeah. I, I think the next much more he- established directors have conceded much more ground to harvey weinstein and he was able to stand his ground it's amazing and I think that now he's in a position where he stuck his ground with this and he made parasite the way he wanted to he will make another movie in english and they're gonna let him do what he wants yeah i agree <laughs> and now he has three oscars and harvey weinstein is rotting in jail there yeah. you go <laughs> Yes, we love to see it. Fantastic. Okay, final thoughts time. Nicole, uh, anything that we did not cover do you want to touch on with Snowpiercer? Two things. One, I do want to say I think this is Chris Evans' probably best performance. Uh, I think he's really splendid in it. I think that that monologue is really good. I think that I I wasn't lucky enough to see him um, in the play that he did on Broadway a couple of years ago, but I can definitely see that he has that ability to monologue in the way that a theater actor needs to be able to. So that's really great. I would love to get to see him do more roles like this in the future. I also had to bring up this morning I watched because I tweeted about watching this movie and someone sent me very kindly a video from YouTube about how Snowpiercer is actually a sequel to uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Like, oh my God, I've seen that video. Like of all time. If y'all haven't seen these, go to YouTube. There's multiple videos about it. Everyone listening, go look it up because it sounds ridiculous. And then oh. you listen to the theories and you're like, no, I, I think I actually believe this. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, hard same, hard same. I was convinced after watching those videos. I, I Guys, you, you laugh. It's real. Watch those videos. 
it's real the w's everywhere yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i just had to bring that up because i think that that is like one thing that honestly i i already really enjoyed this movie and i really like it but then i i watched that and i was like oh my god best fan theory of all time (laughs) it truly it truly (laughs) is i've I've never seen anything as good as this it's it's amazing (laughs) uh awesome uh dangle brilliant uh i just i just want to bring up that like 2014 was a year of some awesome technical films that just did not get their due at the oscars like this and edge of tomorrow Mm -hmm. and and it's just it's just a shame when you have a producer who doesn't have faith in something that works. And I'm just so glad that Bong Joon-ho eventually came out the winner in this. Yeah, agreed. I, I think I think that there is a bit of truth to this aiding in not just people being aware of Bong Joon-ho and who he is, but also the respect factor for Bong Joon-ho as well. I think also uh, was aided uh, by this movie and this experience of making it as well. Um, he has said that he, I mean, not now, but he wanted to focus on smaller films after this one because the experience was so troublesome for him. Um, and obviously, look, look how that paid off. I would like to see him return to not a big $200 million movie, mind you, but I would be very curious with a large budget uh, what he could do again in terms of world building in terms of his uh, attention to detail storytelling uh, uh, st- sensibilities and um, yeah that, that gets me very very excited uh, let's hear now from Amanda when I look back on this film it made it so obvious why he why Parasite uh, did so well at the Oscars this was his stepping stone you see the ensemble work in this film and you see the set you see how Parasite not only got a SAG nomination for ensemble, but would win. You see why the why how he was able to upset for director, how he was able to um, be the first one to win for a foreign language film and picture. You really can see the direct link between how this set him up for Parasite, and it's so close to perfect. It's so close to perfect. And I cannot wait to see his for his next uh, English language film because you know I saw all those pictures with Leo. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! But I think for Chris <laughs> Evans, he has so much more that he's capable of, and we've seen this with this, and then Knives Out, and and he's built up the he's you know obviously got the box office clout. So I can't wait to see what he does. In the second act of his career, since he's probably past the Marvel stage. I know that uh, Nicole uh, would back me on this as well. But uh, Amanda, if you're feeling that way and you haven't seen him and Octavia Spencer in uh, Gifted. I have. Oh, you have. OK. I, good, I, good. And the incredible McKenna Grace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's the most adorable kid star. But yeah, I, I definitely we stand think young that. Tanya. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a shame because, you know, this film, it's not just. Tilda Swinton, who should have got an Oscar nomination. She gives this harrowing Odysseus-style journeyman performance that usually gets you an Oscar nomination. He deserved to be in the conversation, and he was left out. Yeah. All right. Let's hear now from Dan Baer. Um, I My only final thought is my favorite 
scene in the movie, which is um, just before they make it to the engine of the train, which, and this is one of those things where the, the layout of the train does make sense. Of course, the train, the car right behind the engine car would be a club. <laughs> because you want to drown out all the noise of the engine. Um, but you, there is this great moment, and one of the other like films, the best uses of slow-mo, they're walking through the car, and slowly the, the rave music um, fades out, and the dialogue of what people are saying fades up, mm. and it takes this, you know, this rave party thing into a level of like just people are angry and shouting at each other and accusing of stealing things and and taking things and I'm going to kill you and like that it's this one moment that sort of encapsulates everything that Bong is trying to say about class in this movie See, in this there was so moment. much there was so much going on. I just kept watching Song Kang Ho and going, "Why are Why are they taking these coats? Why are Why are they like looking for more drugs? What 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 are they doing?" And I, I loved how that like that was in the background too. It was like, "Oh, sorry." Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Tom, um, you know, you you take a look at Bong's uh, filmography. You know, and beyond Parasite, you have Okja, which is a bit of a lark, but it does conform to his aesthetic of um, the poor against the rich. We have Snowpiercer. We have a mother in the, the film Mother fighting for her son's life. We have, even in a monster movie like The Host, you get to see various classes going up and Memories of Murder, uh, which uh, it's a... You, you, they, they are so different as films, and they are so similar as far as an aesthetic goes. Um, we've got a major filmmaker on our hands here, and with a with a vision that is totally his. I would say I would go back to maybe Altman to find a filmmaker with such a personal and unique aesthetic, and I cannot wait to see what he's going to do next. Absolutely. Uh, the only other thing I have to add uh, that we did not talk about is uh, during the uh, Yekka Tarina bridge uh, fight sequence, when the action stops so that everyone can say Happy New Year, <laughs> bodies, blood. There's one guy laying down covered in blood. And he like raises the axe. And he's like, Happy New Year. Bizarre. So bizarre. So funny. Darkly funny. And once again, just goes to show you the brainwashing and the world building that has gone into trying to rewrite uh, a new history, uh, write a new history uh, for this train, which has essentially become the world for these people. Uh, really, really love that little moment there. Uh, my rating is a nine out of ten. Uh, definitely uh, not perfect, uh, close, but one of my favorite films of 2014 by far. Uh, let's hear now from Nicole rating my rating. And I went back and forth on this and it could change if I watched it again, but it's a strong eight out of 10. Okay. Uh, Daniel. Um, I actually give this film a 10 mainly just for its originality and for it giving bong a wider audience and just for like 
I think it's very rewatchable because you can notice so many different things. So yeah, it's a it's actually a light ten, but but still a ten for me. Okay, Amanda. Nine plus. <laughs> nine plus plus. <laughs> like like a nine point five, like very very close to perfect. Yeah, Dan Bear. I am at a very strong eight out of ten. Right with Nicole. Tom. Um, I'm I'm very near Daniel's light ten. But it's a nine plus 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 extraordinary. It's it's uh, uh, it's it, you know you stop and think, my God, this is one of the major films of 2014, and it didn't get bupkis. Yeah, and that's a good segue into our final uh, portion here. Uh, critics did go to bat for this movie. Mm-hmm. They did try, and this movie did get a lot of notices from various critics groups. It won Best Picture even. Uh, from a couple of different critics groups. Um, Tilda Swinton, as Amanda said earlier, was the one member of the cast that was singled out the most. She managed to even grab a Critics' Choice uh, nomination for Best Supporting Actress for this movie. Uh, This film also showed up at the Gotham Awards with a uh, tribute to Tilda Swinton. It also showed up at the um, National Board Review, listed as one of the top 10 uh, films of the year. And despite the fact that critics, Phoenix, San Francisco, Washington, Online Film Critics Society, Iowa, I mean, like Los Angeles, best production design runner up uh, mentioned, you know, it's like everybody tried in some form or way to get this movie some level of recognition. Zero Oscar nominations for Snowpiercer. No guild support. I mean, I went through and I didn't I didn't see any guild support. And I think that's what uh, did it in the end for this movie and i mean do we attribute that to harvey weinstein ultimately absolutely no one saw it because he made it impossible well you think of the fact that he got the artist the best picture win which is disgusting and oh come on oh don't get me started come on disgusting (laughs) that's so ridiculous okay well i also just think in general if you're looking to blame someone for something and it could be harvey just blame it on him (laughs) <laughs> this is absolutely his fault. So yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's not I mean, like they did oh. anything to campaign this film. I mean, and he shot himself in the foot, frankly, because this could have and should have been a huge box office sensation and multiple Oscar nominations. People would have gone just to see Chris Evans. Something else. Yeah, exactly. So, in that regard, if we're talking about multiple Oscar nominations, Dan, where does it begin for you? I, it begins with production design. Absolutely. I don't know. Like it's, it's one of those like films that just like it, it, it has that one really, really stellar element that a lot of the times Academy will go out of its way to recognize and how it didn't end up in this category is mind boggling to me. Um, I think it also could have, should have contended in uh, makeup and hairstyling, uh, sound mixing, sound editing. I think for me, that's probably where it. Oh well, Tilda, obviously. Um, let's just say get that out of the way. <laughs> I I personally have it. I'll go beyond that because I I I actually echo everything it is that you just said. Uh, but going beyond that, even uh, I would go as far for adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. Me too. Cinematography. 
I don't know if I'll go for the cinematography just yet. No. I there's a couple other movies I want to revisit on this on our 2014 retrospective before I make that claim, but I do think the cinematography is very good. I would bump Mr. Turner on Broken. I would, for for this. Mr. Turner is gorgeous. Um, I know. But- I also have Snowpiercer in my original score lineup because I think Marco Beltrami is still criminally underrecognized. That is true. He it's is. A score. Yeah. I don't have it in for score, though. I don't have it in for score. I, I think that there's a, a place where you could have put Ed Harrison for, for supporting actor. Maybe, because it does have that um, William Hurt, A History of Violence kind of quality to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there's a wow factor there. Yeah. Uh, I have it for seven. I, I, I think director is a possibility. I think picture is a bit of a reach. Oh, see, it makes my picture my director lineup, and yeah, it makes my picture lineup too. I would, I would, I, I would love to see it in picture as a as a contender, but I, I think for me at least, it's a bit of a, right now in terms of uh, visibility, I have it as director, production design, supporting actress, makeup, sound editing, mixing, and adapted screenplay. So that's seven. Yeah, yeah I would have added. Did you have cinematography in yours? Tom? Cinematography, I did not have, no. Yeah, I, I would add cinematography, and then I, I Me agree too. Uh, Amanda, does Chris Evans make your lineup? Um, I think he deserved to be in the conversation. It's really hard for me to bump anyone because that lineup seems pretty stacked. I, I mean, I think, you know, him and Bradley Cooper could have fought it out. The Battle of the Beards. I'll say he's in my lineup currently, but I have I have more to catch up on. Uh, from 2014 yeah. so i don't know if he'll be there by the time we get to our our voting that we do but he's he's got his spot now i think 2014 is so stacked to the point it that is, i yeah. I, really I, I love chris evans in this movie i can't find room for him if i just I can't like, yeah. top 10 i would put him in my top 10 i think he deserves <laughs> yeah that. Um, me too but I, like I, when i look at supporting actress i'm like you know no, no offense to like Kira Knightley or Meryl Streep, but I, I could easily put Octavia Spencer and Tilda Swinton in there and have been fine with it. But I oh. think if you put Tilda, <laughs> I think if you put Tilda in there, then Patricia Arquette gets really nervous about that win. Oh, I don't think so at all. Because Tilda had already I don't won. Think so at all. Yeah, no way. <laughs> uh, there's no way that Patricia Arquette does not win the Oscar that year. Ugh, I, I agreed. I don't. I, it's stupid, but I agreed. <laughs> And well, I feel like I, Song Kang Ho, not only for Parasite, but for this, should have gotten more consideration. No, not for this. For Parasite, yes, yeah, but not for this. Uh, outside of Tilda and Evans, I think anything else is stretching it, in my opinion. Ed Harris would have been the only other play, but I think a SAG Ensemble nomination. Yes. They could have switched this out. See, a SAG Ensemble makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That yeah. definitely, yeah. I would like to have seen that. What were the SAG Ensemble nominees that year? It was Birdman. Uh, boyhood, the theory of everything, the imitation game, and then I, I think I don't remember what the fifth one was. I mean, the theory of everything doesn't have uh, a deep Grand bench. Budapest Hotel, which in my oh, opinion yeah. should have won, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the theory of everything you could take out, um, or the uh, imitation, the imitation game, game I could game. take out, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, yeah. Is, this was yeah. such a diverse cast. When they say movies aren't diverse, I'm like. Mm. Leave it to a non-Hollywood filmmaker to show Hollywood how it's done, right? Yeah. Exactly. Alrighty, guys. Well, that'll be it for our discussion on Snowpiercer. Thank you all so much for listening. Daniel, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. And thank you so much for uh, being here with us. Well, um, you can find my podcast at The Gavritz, which uh, we've admittedly been on a hiatus because I'm actually an essential worker. So I've been working very hard to help uh, fight the COVID pandemic. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you. 
And like, you can also find my writing um, at Award Circuit and at In Session Film. Awesome. Really cool. Thank you so much for uh, coming on once again to talk about Snowpiercer with us. Nicole, where can I find you on the internet? I am pretty much everywhere at Nicole Ackman 16. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. Amanda Spears? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Amanda Spears. Tom O'Brien? And I am on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Snowpiercer here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including other 2014 retrospective reviews. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Uh, and very, very... You and I agree. I know. Hey, guys, what's Uh, up with the knocking? That's my sister. Lindsay! I'm on a podcast! Can we please include that?